Nehemiah chapter 13, if you'll turn there. The last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We've been in Nehemiah over the last several uh, weeks, and it's been a wonderful study, and the Lord's not through yet. So Nehemiah chapter 13. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and uh, John will slip you a Bible. We're not going to cover all of chapter 13. There's a lot that is in there. But it's also um, just uh, to remind you before we get into our study here tonight, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. And we'll get there in just a minute. But uh, to remind you that there is Koinonia Fellowship this Saturday. At details are in your bulletin hosted by Jerry and Sandy Sanders at 6 o'clock potluck. So great way uh, for you to be just part of a small group. So this Saturday on um, the 21st, the first day, official day of summer um, on Saturday. Uh, also on Sunday, we're going to continue our... Uh, study in John's gospel that we started a few weeks ago so we'll be finishing chapter 2 and last week we saw Jesus um, miracle that he did at the wedding feast and so now he is going to go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover and we're going to see him as he goes in and overturns the money changers tables and drives out the uh, animals for sacrifices as he cleanses the temple I don't know if you realize, but there was two cleansings that Jesus did. One recorded in the Synoptic Gospels at the end of his ministry, and then one at the beginning of his ministry is recorded in John chapter 2. Twice he did it. So we're going to talk about that as we will finish chapter 2. So bring somebody to Calvary Chapel, 8.30 and 10.30 on um, Sunday morning as we just continue to uh, study the wonderful Gospel of John. Also, continue to pray as we have a group of high schoolers that are in Eagle, and they are ministering even right now as we speak to uh, the kids at VBS at Calvary Chapel in Eagle, and they have an evening vacation Bible school, and what I understand, things are going well, and God is really working. So just, uh, they got, after tonight, they got two more nights, and then uh, we're just going to pray that they come home safely, and we're really excited uh, what God is doing with them and through them and with the group and with the kids there in Eagle. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to see so many young people. Ben's going to be leaving Monday, right, for South Africa. We've prayed for him and uh, brought him up. And Barbara and Jamie just got back from Dublin. And it is wonderful to see um, particularly our young people there stepping out into the mission field. And sometimes I hear about a lost generation, and um, there is concern about our young people that are leaving the faith. And I don't know if you know the latest statistics, but what I've read is 80% of kids coming out of youth group, out of church, are leaving the church, are no longer in fellowship. And, um, and so there is that concern, and I am so grateful and so thankful that we do have young people that are willing to go out and take the time to go, uh, whether it's over in Europe or to Africa or over to Eagle, Colorado. And um, we have others that are praying about going into the mission field. And I just think that's wonderful. And that's why we want to pray for them. And that's why we want to continue to pray um, for, you know, um, those who are ministering. And as I've always said this, that all of us have a mission field. And we may not be able to go to Europe or to Africa, uh, have those means to be able to do that. But when we leave this building, that we're entering into a mission field. And we have a mission field at the workplace and out there in the field, guys, and uh, in the schools and in our neighborhoods and to our family. And, you know, Wednesday night's a chance for me just to kind of share my heart a little bit. But really over the last couple months, I've really uh, since a... Uh, um, had a sense of urgency 
um, that we need to really be standing on the gospel. Um, it is really dark days. And there is a lot of deception that is out there. And we're seeing it get worse and worse. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because the Bible says that it will be that way. The Bible says that in the last days there are going to be perilous times. That evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse. We know that there's going to be many, not a few, as Paul writes to Timothy, that are going to fall away from the faith and be given over to the fables and myths and heaping up teachers for themselves. And uh, they're going to have itchy ears. And, and there are going to be those who are going to be given over to doctrines of demons. And we're seeing that in an increased rate. And what we're seeing in the church today at large is we're seeing those imposters. Now, an imposter is one that is amongst the people, amongst the sheep, uh, and is an imposter saying that they're Christian, using Christian terminology, but they are indeed imposters leading people astray. And we're seeing an increase of that. And much of the prosperity gospel that we see today and those who promote it and then also with uh, um, what we're seeing, what we saw in the 90s with this whole new revival thing that was taking place is starting to grow and gain um, momentum. It has been in Southern California, seems to be spreading, now picking up in Southern Florida. And whenever those two places begin to have a movement that it begins to affect the rest of the country, where there's so much emphasis on um, experience and out-of-control kinds of things and just weirdness, and it's, it's really a concern. And so we need to, here at Calvary Chapel, we need to be grounded in the Word of God because God wants to use you as well. And I really believe that the people that He's going to use are those who are grounded in God's Word and know God's Word to be able to give truth to others. So we really need to support each other. And we really need to be praying for each other and praying for those who are going out. And um, as a church, to say, Lord, we want to be ones that we're like the Church of Philadelphia. You read those seven letters to the seven churches there in, um, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And, and the Church of Philadelphia, that God commended them. And um, he said to them that you have not denied my name. You, you have kept my word and you have a little bit of strength. They weren't a, a big, huge church that was well-known throughout Proconsular Asia, but they were the faithful church. And I pray for us that we would be known as the faithful church. And then the Lord gave them a promise that I promise that I will take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I really believe that the Lord's coming back, and he's coming back soon, and that we're in the last days. And we see the events all around the world that it's quite interesting what's going on there in the Middle East. Some of you have asked me about it with uh, the recent developments in Iraq. Does that have uh, implications concerning the end times? I think that it does. And how it's all going to work out, I'm not quite sure. But we've seen ISIS, the Islamic State of Iran and Syria, that terrorist group. And listen, they're not just a terrorist group. They're a terrorist army that it with speed has been taken over much of Iraq and, and is threatening Baghdad. And, and so these extremist uh, terrorists, uh, Islamic jihads, 
Um, they are uh, rapidly taken over. Much of uh, that area of northern Iraq also very active in Syria. And what they want to do is they want to be able to take over Iraq and Syria and begin a, a basis of a, a Sharia law to where they go back to the um, ancient um, you know, regulations of Islamic law and to be able to have a, uh, a network there, uh, a state, that would begin a global network that would reach across the world. And these guys are leaving a path of death and carnage. And we need to be praying uh, for the people of Iraq and for Syria that there has been so much bloodshed. And one of the things that's going on is, if you read about it, that in Islam there's two main factions, the Sunnis and the Shias, or the Shiites. And the Sunnis are the ones that are behind ISIS. And they're the ones that are being led by a man that actually was in custody by the Americans during the Iraq war and was released. And the last statement that he made to the Americans was, we'll see you in New York. And they are definitely a threat to um, the Western world and to the world itself, um, getting weapons. Uh, they have a lot of big money that is supporting them. And uh, so you have the Sunnis and then you have the Shiites. And the Iraqi government is... Shiite led um, and Iran's getting involved because Iran is Shiite Muslims and then you have Saudi Arabia's which are Sunnis and so this conflict's been going on for a long time and um, very much a concern just watching it and seeing how it's going to play out but what is interesting if you pay attention that some of, of the players there are mentioned in the last days up north and northern Iraq what you have is the Kurds you've heard of the Kurds and the Kurds, that they're Sunnis, but they're not Arabs. They are Medes, is what they are. And of course, that's a very familiar term to us as we've been studying the Old Testament. Remember who took over Babylon? Now, Babylon is, was uh, located in what is today Iraq, and so the ancient city of Babylon. And that was Babylon. They were taken over by the Medes and the Persians, right? They joined together. So the um, um, Kurds up north that run that area of Kirkuk, um, they have taken advantage of the situation. They are Sunnis, but they're not Arabs. They've been under persecution by the Shiite Muslims in Iraq. Saddam Hussein used to uh, bomb them constantly. He used chemical weapons against them. Perhaps you might remember back in the 80s, those of us who are old enough to kind of remember those things. And now they're taking advantage of taking over the rich oil fields right now. And what is interesting, that in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about the Medes. The Medes are going to rise up in the last days. And they're going to be used as an instrument, really, of judgment and uh, being a problem to Babylon in the last days. So it's kind of interesting how that's all going to play out. And, of course, the Persians, those are... The Iranians, I, Iran um, is, uh, is um, uh, Sunni, as I mentioned to you, um, in their belief, and then also uh, known as the Persians. So they're not Arabs either. And um, we know that Iran was called Persia clear up until the 1930s. So all this has taken place, but what we really need to be doing um, is we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters over there in the Middle East because... Uh, they're being persecuted and they're being killed. 
and persecution is really on the rise against the Christians, not only in the Middle East, but also in North Korea. Uh, we're seeing it to where the Christians uh, are really have been persecuted very heavily, but that's increasing. And also in Africa, in Sudan, um, the Christians are being heavily persecuted. Um, we know that South Sudan, where I, I would go and minister, that there's a terrible civil war that's going on in South Sudan, that there's great bloodshed. And so there's a lot of upheaval and there's a lot of you know, uh, turmoil that's going on in the world today that's affecting our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we forget about that, don't we? And we are blessed because we live in a country where we don't see that kind of persecution. But we want to lift them up. There's, um, you know, Christians in Iraq. I don't know if you know that. In northern Iraq, where um, these, uh, you know, ISIS is, and they are fleeing. And um, again, many of them have been um, shot and um, have been killed uh, because they are Christians. So... Uh, let's remember our brothers and sisters and let's remember that we're in the last days and that um, we need to be ones that are giving light to the darkness uh, that is out there and that's what i pray that we do and realize that the lord is coming i don't know when he's coming but i believe that he's coming soon i don't know exactly how all this is going to work out in the middle east uh, but we know that Israel is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. There's a lot of, uh, you know, situations going around uh, Israel. And, um, of course, uh, that Babylon is mentioned as being the epicenter of evil in the last days and deception. And so all this is playing out uh, to where uh, it's interesting, too. The Ayatollahs, if you read, are calling for the uh, 12th Iman to come on the scene, the Islamic savior that's going to come on the scene and, and usher in Islam all around the world and do away with the Christians and with the Jews. And so um, a lot of stuff going on out there that people are wondering about. Um, as it plays out, maybe later on in summer, we'll do a prophecy update um, and what's going on and what is mentioned specifically about the Medes in the last days, about the Persians in the last days, about Babylon in the last days, and kind of just try to put it all together. But let's do remember our brothers and sisters that are going through great, great difficulty. But also know this, that there's also revival going on um, in Iran and in parts of the Middle East where the gospel is going out. And more Muslims today are receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior than ever before. And that's the good news. Um, you know, Satan, he will persecute the church. Uh, but also, as we're going to see tonight, that Satan also will join the church. And he will join the church to bring deception. And that's what we're seeing a lot in the Western world, um, a lot of deception and imposters and things like that. That's a great threat to the church and, um, and to, you know, the truth of God's word. So, Father, as we get into our text here tonight, we, we do want to lift up our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And, Lord, there is a sense of urgency that we want to um, be faithful to you. We want to, Lord, stand on truth, and we want to be strong as Christians, and how we need that strength in the days in which we are living in. Lord, may we be um, like Nehemiah, um, who was such a godly example, such a godly leader. Uh, help us as men, uh, fathers, in our homes to be like Nehemiah, Joshua, who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, that we would uh, be ones like Daniel, all of us, that determined in his heart not to defile himself. But Lord, we want to 
um, just continue to grow in the grace and love of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We desire to uh, be light, and tonight we remember our brothers and sisters, whether they're in North Korea or in Syria or Iraq or in Iran, the Middle East, in Africa, Sudan, uh, in Kenya, where we see the Islamic movement is growing and many were killed just recently uh, from terrorist attacks. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that you would keep them strong. Lord, we pray that um, for their protection. Uh, Lord, we just pray that um, your hand would be upon them. And um, so, Lord, we lift them up. We remember them um, in our prayers here tonight. And, uh, Lord, we don't know how it's all going to work out, but we know that your son's going to come back and that he is going to establish his kingdom that will last for all eternity. And we can't wait for that day. We can't wait for that time when you come for us the sound of the trumpet and we get to go home and have dinner with you at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And Lord, may we live each and every day in the expectancy of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, not knowing the day or the hour, but Lord, knowing that we are living in perilous times. So Lord, bless the study tonight. Bless the kids again that are uh, in Eagle as they're ministering. Um, Lord, we just pray for those who are going through difficult times, um, even as so many prayer requests have gone out on the prayer chain. Uh, Lord, we want to lift up um, Heather, her mom, uh, tonight. We just pray that uh, you touch her and bring healing to her. Lord, um, Lord, minister her, her body, Lord, her heart, her soul. Lord, the family, Heather and the family, strengthen and encourage them. Lord, we pray for those who are going through difficulties and uh, sickness, and, and there's so many. Uh, whether it's a dog bite uh, that Michael's son has had and being infected, or whether it's those with heart conditions, uh, those who are experiencing turmoil in their family, Father, we pray that you be the great comforter, and that you would work, that you would bring strength in wisdom and direction and show yourself strong on their behalf so lord now we open up the word for you to touch our hearts here tonight and it's in jesus name that we pray amen so in chapter 13 we read that that day they read from the book of moses in the hearing of the people and it was found written that no ammonite or moabite should ever come into the assembly of god verse 2 because they had not met the children of israel with bread and water uh, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So this is the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And of course, Nehemiah came back. He was the cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes, and he would help the uh, people of Judah and of Jerusalem as he would lead them into building a wall around Jerusalem. And you recall that when he came back, keep this in mind because this is going to play into the verses that we're going to read here tonight, that there were the enemies of the Jews that were very upset that Nehemiah had rallied the people to say, hey, we got the command from the king, God's hand is on us, let us rise up and do this good work and build the wall. It was Sanballat and Tobiah the Ammonite 
who had come against Nehemiah. And you recall that they were, uh, were trying to stop the work. They were saying, Tobiah, that if a fox walks on the wall, then it's going to fall down. And then it was Tobiah that was sending letters to Nehemiah and saying, Nehemiah, get off the wall. Come meet us. We need to have a meeting in the plains of Ono. And uh, sending these letters repeatedly and constantly. And Nehemiah said, no, I'm not going to get off the wall. And we talked about how important it is. And I think it's important you know worth reiterating here tonight remember guys that the enemy is going to try to keep you from ministering he's going to try to put fear into you or discourage you or distract you in any way that he can to keep you from doing what god is having you to do and it can come in many forms just great discouragement just you know you know bullying and threatening is what was coming against nehemiah and nehemiah was wise enough and strong enough to know that this is the enemy that i'm doing a good work i'm not going to get off the wall but we're going to continue to do the work of god because god is great and awesome and we need to remember that as well the the trick of the enemy trying to bring us down and distract us, get us away from what he would have us to do as we are helping build the kingdom of God in these last days. So Tobiah was doing that, and then he was saying, I'm going to write the king and say, you're leading a rebellion. And then, you know, um, the word was coming to Nehemiah, you need to go hide in the temple because these guys are going to kill you. So they were a big problem, and Nehemiah continues to stay focused on the Lord and trust in the Lord, and he would station the men with a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. And after 52 days, they would build the wall around Jerusalem. But Nehemiah, that godly man, not only did he want to help Jerusalem to prosper practically as they would build a wall around Jerusalem, but also spiritually. So he would bring the spiritual reforms and revival to the land. There was a reading of the word of God there in Nehemiah chapter 8, and the people heard it and they began to weep and mourn. There, there was uh, you know, uh, repentance that was taking place. There was the celebration of the feast once again. And we also saw that Nehemiah, that he would establish the Levites and the priests once again. And you recall in chapter 12 that he would, um, as he would make sure that the Levites and priests were being provided for, that the people were bringing the tithes and the first fruits and the offerings, and that they were established in, as the gatekeepers and the musicians that was taking place, and um, the you know, articles were sanctified for, and consecrated for the work of the ministry, and um, all those things were in place once again. So Nehemiah just uh, really making sure, more than anything, that the spiritual reforms and were in place and that the priests and Levites would have um, provision for, just as it was prescribed as, uh, in the law and according to David as he set it up, and then also that there was the center of worship right there at the temple. Well, Nehemiah leaves for a little while, and he goes back to the king, and he's serving the king as cupbearer, and he's going to come back, and when he comes back, there's going to be some problems. And we're going to see the root of that problem as we continue. But in verses 1 through 3, we see that there was a reading of the word once again, and the people realize that there's sin, there's a problem, there's compromise. And as they're reading the word, they realize no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Now let's look at this carefully and see exactly what is being said here, because 
you can look at this and think, well, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? But there was real problems that were coming into the assembly of God because of what was taking place. Remember that Tobiah was an Ammonite. And as he makes reference here in, in verse 2, because they had not met the uh, Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So there's this reference clear back to when the children of Israel were in the wilderness wandering. And recall, towards the end of that 40 years, that Moses would bring them up to the east side of the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And they had defeated uh, Shihan and Og, those two kings on the east side. And the king of the Moabites, his name was Balak, he sees that, oh no, here are the children of Israel. They are very much afraid. So what he does is he hires Balaam, who seems to be a prophet of God. And he hires Balaam to come and curse Israel um, because they had come up into the plains of Moab. They're, they're making their way into the promised land. Balak's upset. And verse 2, instead of meeting the children of Israel with bread and water, he hires Balaam to curse them. And as you look at Numbers chapter 22 through 24, Balaam, he was initially told by God, don't go with these men, you know, back to Balak, who is trying to hire you. But it was Balaam that would, and he would say to Balak, listen, I can only say what God tells me to say. And it was God that said, you will not curse them, but you will bless them. And so there's four prophecies that are given there. And he blesses them. So when Balak wanted Balaam to curse them. So Balaam comes back and says, listen, God's not going to allow me to curse them. Uh, I can only, you know, bless them as he's speaking the words of the Lord. And, and you can read those blessings that are given to Israel during that time. But here was Balaam. He was very greedy. He was offered a lot of money by Balak and he wants the money. And so what he does is he comes up with the plan. He says, here's what you can do, Balak, king of Moab, is I can't curse them, God won't let me, but what you can do is get your young ladies all prettied up and have them take some idols down into the camp of Israel, seduce the young men, introduce idol worship, and then God will judge them. And that's exactly what happened. So the young ladies got all gussied up, they went down, they seduced the young men of Israel in the camp, they introduced idol worship, so plague came through the camp and 24,000 ended up dying in that plague. So we see here that the story of Balaam um, would cause harm to the people of God. So here is this plague that happened, and as they read the word of God, they were to separate themselves from the mixed multitude. Now the mixed multitude is a term that you hear particularly first when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and they were a source of problem. Now, as we look at this, again, we need to look at this very carefully. The Ammonites, the Moabites, uh, they came about by an incestuous relationship with Lot's daughters that we read about in the book of Genesis. They were very much here at this point involved in the spiritual life of the people of God but they were bringing compromise and they were bringing sin and they did not want to obey the covenant of God that he had made with his people. You see, it wasn't that they couldn't turn to the people of God and join the people of God. They could do that by choice if they left the old life and joined the spiritual life of God's people. They could enjoy the covenant of God. How do we know that? 
Ruth, right? Remember Ruth was a Moabite? And it was Naomi in that little story of the book of Ruth. She leaves her husband and two sons. They leave Bethlehem because there's famine. They go east. They go across the Jordan River into the plains of Moab. And there we know that uh, her two sons got married. But her husband dies. We know that uh, her two sons die. So she comes back years later. She's going to come back with Ruth. Ruth, who is a Moabitess. And what did Ruth say? She said, I'm going to come with you, Naomi, and your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. So there was a joining of the covenant people. There was a joining of the spiritual life in Israel, and God blessed it, and she ended up being the great-great-grandmother to who? To David, and in line of the Messiah, and she's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in the gospel narratives. So it wasn't that they could not turn and, and join God's people, but what they were doing is they were coming into the assembly of God, and they were being a huge problem, and it would be um, a problem in the spiritual life of um, what was taking place, and so it's like today, when people come to Jesus Christ, you know, there's a leaving of the world, isn't there? There's a leaving of the formal lust and joining with Christ. And that's what needed to take place, but it wasn't happening here. And we're going to see that evident when we pick it up here in verse 4. So they were wanting to be a part of the spiritual life of Israel, the Moabites and Ammonites, without a wanting to follow God's covenant that he had made with his people. It's kind of like what we see even in the church at large today. As I mentioned, that there are imposters and evil men that are growing worse and worse. And it was Paul the apostle, when he was warning the Ephesian elders, you might recall, that he said to them that, uh, you know what, there's going to be perverse men that will rise up within, that will draw disciples after themselves. Don't you remember how I warned you day and night for three years about that? Speaking perverse things, drawing disciples after themselves, harming the church is what he was saying. So we see that even in the church today, that those who come along and they will claim to be Christians, they will use Christian terminology, but they are not... Uh, according to the truth of God's word. They are not ones that are bringing truth to others, and they are ones that bring compromise and sin and carnality. We see it in the ecumenical movement. We see it in the movement of pluralism, uh, you know, that we all just need to join together as one, and we're all the children of God, and let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya and all of this, and it doesn't really matter what it is that we believe. Well, it does matter what we believe. And whenever that we allow that, that there is deception that comes into the church, it brings harm to the church. It's kind of like Ahaz, the king, as you read in 2 Kings chapter 18. Here is Ahaz, the king of Judah. He's being threatened by Syria and by Israel, the ten northern tribes. Those two kings said that we're going to come down, we're going to kill you, Ahaz, and we're going to set up our own king. And so Ahaz, not wanting to trust in the Lord, what he did is he trusted in the king of Assyria. Assyria at that time is flexing its muscles, becoming the world power, you know, in the Middle East there. And so he makes an alliance with the king of Assyria. Hey, will you go to war against Syria and do him in so I don't have to worry about this? And he rips the gold and silver out of the temple and pays off the king of Assyria. 
So that's what the king of Assyria does. He says, okay, he kills the king of Syria. He's sitting on the throne in Damascus. Ahaz goes up there to see him. There is Ahaz. He sees this idol that is there that the king of Assyria is worshiping. And Ahaz says, I like that. I like that idol. So he calls for the high priest to make a copy of it to put it in a temple in Jerusalem. So there was all this idol worship. There was all this compromise. And here's the thing. When you read the book of Isaiah and you read it carefully, when Isaiah comes on the scene about that time that Ahaz was the king, uh, we know he was because Isaiah came to him and said, Ahaz, ask for God for a sign. Ask it in the heavens. Ask it in the earth there in Isaiah chapter 6. And Ahaz said, I won't tempt the Lord thy God. And the reason he said that is because his heart wasn't right with God. And so it was Isaiah that said, well, God's going to give you a promise that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. So the promise of the coming Messiah that was given to him at that time. But it was Ahaz that was bringing all kinds of that was false and we see it today. For, you know, the life of me, I cannot understand why there are certain denominations that will say, well, we want to be interdenominational, interfaith, and all of this, so they'll have a Muslim cleric on staff. Oh, they'll do something like that, a new age, you know, philosopher on staff, so we can be enlightened and things like that. So that's kind of what was taking place here as the Ammonites and Moabites. There was a mixed multitude not wanting to lead that which was uh, false and join God's covenant people and follow God's covenant. So it was Warren Worsby, I'm reminded, it said, we must not imitate the world in order to be a witness to the world. And as I mentioned to you, that Satan's tactic is not just to persecute the church, but oftentimes he'll join the church to bring in that compromise and that deception. So that's what was taking place. Now we see it worked out practically in verse 4 through 9. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Uh-oh, Tobiah. Bad news, isn't he? And so he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings of the priests. But during all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. In verse 7, And they came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. So here is the priest, Eliashib. He allows Tobiah a room there at the temple. Now, keep in mind, we ended chapter 12 with the temple responsibilities being put in place. Bring the, the tithes, bring the, you know, first fruits and the provision so that the priests and Levites can minister here at the temple. And at the temple, there's a temple building that, you know, was the holy place and the most holy place. But then there was, you know, uh, buildings around uh, the temple that were on the temple proper or the temple mount. And they were used for the storehouses for the priests and the Levites, for them to be able to minister, to store the uh, things that had been sanctified for the Lord in the use of the temple uh, sacrifices and, and ministry there. So what happens is they take that and clear that out, and we're going to see that evident. We're not going to see it tonight. And what happens is Tobiah takes over. 
And instead of those storehouses being used for provision for the Levites, Tobiah comes in and he has great influence on the spiritual life of the nation. That's why they're reading the word of God saying, hey, this is a problem. This is a problem, this mixed multitude, the Ammonites and Moabites coming into the assembly of God. It would be like if somebody who was in rebellion against God and rebellion against God's ways, that we gave them an office upstairs. And it had great influence on the church. This is what's going on there. Tobiah, the one who did much harm to Nehemiah, who tried to do everything under his power to get Nehemiah to stop building a wall around Jerusalem, bullying and threatening and lying and all of this. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah, after 12 years of being in Jerusalem, establishing you know, uh, the uh, priests and the Levites and the leadership there, he's gone for a while. We don't know how long he was gone. I've heard anywhere from a year to 10 years that he was gone. But he was gone for a while to go back to be the cupbearer to Artaxerxes. And then he comes back to Jerusalem. And can you imagine Nehemiah when he sees Tobiah? None of the things are there in place for the Levites and the priests to be provided for because what we're going to read next week is the Levites had to go to work out in the field and provide for themselves. And you know Tobiah had something to do with that. And also they're going to violate the Sabbath day to where there's buying and selling that has taken place in the city of Jerusalem on a Sabbath day. And we'll see that next time as Nehemiah is going to bring these corrections. But it starts with there is sin in the camp. There is sin right there at the temple of God. Tobiah who set up camp there and has influence there to the people of Israel. And Nehemiah comes back and he throws them out, which he should have. And he throws all his stuff out and he cleanses the room. So that's what was taking place and it was a huge problem um, against uh, the children of Israel and among the children of Israel. There's a couple things that I think that we can make application here tonight that's very important. One is this, that godly leadership is important. Godly leadership is very, very important. And without it, God's people can have a tendency to stray. We see that all throughout the scriptures. There is Moses. Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness to the mountain of God. And he's only gone for 40 days. He's up on the mountain of God receiving the you know, law of God, you know, the covenant of God that he's making with the children of Israel. And what are they doing? They're down below after 40 days. They said, where is this man Moses? What's happened to him? It was 40 days before that that the mountain shook. And there was smoke and there was fire and there was thunderings. It was kind of interesting as we were doing worship. If I don't know if you heard some of the thundering, kind of the effects on it, and, uh, which was kind of neat sometimes. But um, I believe it was the divine thundering and lightnings and the voice of God was heard and the people trembled and they said, Moses, that, that you go up on the mountain and we'll do what you tell us to do. So Moses goes up there and after 40 days, what are they doing? They're fashioning a golden calf and saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt and fornicating and committing sin when Moses was gone. And the one that was left behind was Aaron. And when Moses came down, he said, Aaron, what's going on? Well, you know these people. They're in rebellion all the time. He blamed the people. 
And, you know, we just threw gold in the fire and poof out came him calf. When it says very specifically that Aaron helped fashion the calf. And it was God's mercy and grace that Aaron wasn't, you know, consumed at that time. But Moses rebuked Aaron very strongly. And Moses interceded on behalf of the people. You know, again, we, we see that in, in the scriptures. Paul with the Ephesian elders that there's going to be savage wolves that are going to come in amongst you. And what my prayer is for us, the pastoral staff here at Calvary Chapel, is, is that we are strong for you and godly. We walk in the fear of God and that we walk in the humility of the Lord and we take God's word very serious and the, his ways very, very serious. So godly leadership is very, very important and very necessary. But also, I just want to encourage you Dads, those who lead your homes, the godly leadership is so very, very important. And again, we need to encourage each other in these areas and, and really exhort each other in these areas that, that God wants to help you be the leader that he's called you to be. We can't do it on our own. It's difficult days. And, and our kids and our families face uh, situations that can be hard and difficult and trying. And uh, we need God's strength, and we need God's wisdom, and we need his direction. And I want to encourage you, keep doing what you're doing, and that is coming and growing in God's word. And, and being in, in fellowship and belonging to a body of believers that, that we can pray and care for one another and encourage each other in this way. But dads, parents, godly leadership is so extremely important. I can't emphasize it enough. That is so needed, especially in the day in which we're living in. And I think that for all of us, whatever your situation is, that God is calling you to lead. I believe that he's calling us as a church to lead. That he's calling us to lead in this community and whoever it is that we can minister to. That people can look at us as a church and say, you know, there's a group of people that are humble before the Lord, that love the Lord, that stand on the truth of the Lord. That we really would be like to others. And so Nehemiah was that kind of man, and that's why that God has put on my heart to do that series that, you know, the faithfulness, a call to faithfulness, as we look at men like Nehemiah, men like Joshua, men like Daniel, men like Paul the Apostle. Not that they were perfect, but boy, they were godly examples that we see, and we can learn from them. And what God's word has to say for you and for me, how it is that we can be godly leaders and be faithful to God as we prioritize the word of God and, and yielding to the Lord and, and remembering that we're called to holiness and purity and that the Lord desires for us to be godly examples. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for all of us. So godly leadership is, is very, very important. Um, and so, second of all, I think the second application that we can make here tonight is that, um, you know, we can experience chapter 12, you know, where there's revival and there's renewal going on. And, um, but then after a while, what can happen is that we can let the Tobias into our lives to have influence. Listen, we are to be a light to others, certainly. But the problem is, is when we let them begin to influence us, where there's compromise and there's carnality and that there's sin. We want to be a light to others to give them truth. 
We want people to see the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in our lives. But we don't want to be where we are taken into worldly influences, where the Tobias come in and begin to do that. And that can happen very, very easily, and it can happen very subtly if we're not careful. If we're not, guys, protecting our homes. If we're not standing up, as Joshua said, and say, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If we're not ones that are saying, you know what, we're not going to do it the world's way, we're going to do it God's way. Ones that are standing up and saying, being in fellowship is a priority. And listen, it isn't that if you miss church that God stops loving you and you're not a Christian anymore. God loves you. And God, he desires to just continue to work with you. But here's the thing, what can happen is we begin to where everything else becomes a priority in our lives and begins to seduce us away from being in fellowship with other believers and having devotion time in the morning and really just, you know, desiring to grow in the things of the Lord. There's so many distractions that are out there. And my prayer is, is that we would stay focused on the things of God and that we would keep Him the priority of every area of our lives, whether it's our jobs, our businesses, our hobbies, you know, our recreation, whatever it might be, and to be ones that we say, I'm not going to let Tobias come in and influence us. There can be a lot of pressure on us to buy into the world's philosophy and the world's ways. So the question tonight, and I just want to spend a little bit of time, is there a Tobiah in your life that's influencing you, that's ever so slowly just taking you away from that closeness and that fellowship with the Lord and, and you know, just bringing compromise into your house and turmoil into your house, bringing, you know, um, things into your home to where there's no longer peace into your lives, into your families, whatever it might be for you. Is there a Tobiah? And the answer is do what Nehemiah did. Throw them out. All right? Get rid of them. What is it? I read an alarming statistic today that 50% of Christian men regularly watch pornography. 20% of Christian women are watching regularly pornography. Now, out in the world, it's over 70% of men now are watching pornography and nearly 40% of women. That's alarming. And so easily accessible and so easily can be, you know, something that you get involved in and thinking that nobody's going to know. But God knows. Is that a Tobiah? Is it some kind of carnality or compromise? God's been convicting you and saying, you know what, there needs to be a change. Whatever it is, God loves you and he desires for you to throw out the Tobias. Any Tobias that we have in our life and just live for him and enjoy him. And to be able to just experience that abundant life that he has for us because he loves us so much. And I, he doesn't want any of us to miss out on what he has for us. So, Father, as we come tonight, we pray that if there's any Tobias in our lives, as we just have this short study here tonight as we end the chapter, Lord, my prayer is, is that you would help us. Oh, how we need your help.
Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Lord, if there's anything right now to buy in in our life that is setting camp up, and your word says that we are to have Christ that dwells in our hearts, and as Christians we do, and that word dwell we know means make, um, that God makes himself at home in our hearts. But Lord, are we allowing a Tobiah to come in and make home there as well? Light and darkness don't have fellowship together. And Lord, in the honesty of our hearts right now, if there's anything that are in our lives that is causing us to compromise or to sin, that is un- not pleasing to you, that is unholy, Lord, that we would confess it right now. And Lord, help us to know that you desire for us to do that, to just be in agreement, not to make excuses. But Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, that you'd give every single person here who maybe feels in bondage or in captivity to a Tobiah, intimidated, being bullied by a Tobiah, being deceived, right now you give them the power to walk out of this place being free and being that strong leader that you desire for us to be in our homes, in our lives, to the people linked to us in our lives. Lord, how we need you desperately. Being obedient to the word of God with the working of the spirit of God in our lives. Father, we thank you that we can come and openly as your children cry out, Abba, Father, and receive your grace and mercy in our lives. Father, I pray, I want to pray for every, particularly, my heart is heavy for the men here and for the dads that are here. We just celebrated Father's Day and we have a huge responsibility given to us. And Lord, help us to fulfill that. As fathers, as grandfathers, be strong for our families and to stand for truth to protect our homes from worldly influences Lord help us to minister to our children to our wives Lord I pray for those who perhaps are single parents here that you would bless them and help them in the difficult tasks that they have encourage them Know that they are loved here and supported. Lord, I pray for the single people that are here that can struggle with loneliness, that can struggle with the temptations that are out there, that they would have purity of heart. And Lord, that they would just wait on you and take this time right now to serve you freely. And Lord, not get sucked into the temptations of the world. Father, I pray for all of us here, whatever state that we find ourselves in, that you help us be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. And so, Father, we thank you for this night. And Lord, may we leave here just encouraged, continuing on with you. And Lord, knowing that you want to conform us into the image of your Son day by day, from glory to greater glory, as we just yield to you and cry out to you and stay close to you. Help us as a church 
to be a leader in this community. Lord, we're thankful for other churches that are standing on truth and Christians, but Lord, help us, Lord, to be a light in a city on a hill. And Lord, as the word of God goes out through the airwaves to bless others, as we go out of this place into our mission field, to bless others all around us, to bring them to a place where they're going to hear the gospel and the truth of God's word. And Lord, help us not just to be in a place where, Lord, we're just complacent, but Lord, each and every day being open to your leading. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people that are here. And I thank you for allowing us to be here tonight to hear your word. So bless us as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?